So first of all, thanks uh, Senator Haar uh, for inviting me. Thanks to uh, Dr. Bell, who was here before. Uh, quite uh, distinguished acts to follow. Uh, my name is Matt Gregory. I'm with Nebraska Wildlife Federation. Uh, no title there. Uh, just been working on clean energy issues and climate change education for some years now. Uh, Nebraska Wildlife Federation is a statewide nonprofit organization that obviously works on wildlife issues, but also uh, water conservation uh, and clean energy and climate change. And our memberships make up everyone from hunters and anglers to biodiversity enthusiasts and bird watchers uh, to clean energy advocates. So we're we're kind of looking at it, um, you know, through our uh, members. Uh, you know, interests in addressing climate change and, and getting out the word that way. So this presentation uh, is actually made possible by a grant from uh, Nebraska Environmental Trust and Nebraska Academy of Sciences. Uh, so uh, we've got uh, a, a survey, if you could fill that out, uh, to help us stay accountable. Uh, Lee is going to pass that out for you. Um, and the presentation um, was uh, put together with Research done by uh, Nebraska, uh, sorry, National Wildlife Federation, uh, as well as uh, National Academy of Sciences, and the good work done here at the University of Nebraska, um, which we've heard a little bit about already. So, the consensus among climate scientists is stronger than ever. Climate change is real. We're already seeing some of the changes, and human activity is the primary cause. If you want to see some up-to-date uh, research, um, here are some links that you can check out. Um, of course, there's the, na the fourth national climate assessment that was put out by our own government. Um, there's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change put out by the UN, and there's the Implication uh, for Nebraska uh, Climate Change Report that was put out by the university in 2014, um, thanks partly to the efforts of Senator Har here, uh, and there was the sector-based uh, follow-up that has some great information as well. So before we get into uh, the wildlife itself, we want to look a little bit at temperatures. So what will climate change mean for here in Nebraska? So we look, if we look at average uh, winter temperatures today, um, they look like this, uh, December through February, so they average about in the 20s. Um, but <clears throat> the current climate models using mid-range projections uh, project that winter temperatures in Nebraska will rise by 3 to 5 degrees uh, Fahrenheit by about 2050. Um, and that would give Nebraska communities average winter temperatures similar to what we see today in Kansas. So uh, for Nebraskans, climate change means winters in Kansas by about 2050. And those same models project uh, that average summer temperatures here will increase by five to six degrees by 2050. And that means average summer temperatures uh, in Nebraska will be similar to the summer temperatures that we see today uh, in Oklahoma and Texas. So average summer temperatures in Grand Island by 2050 will be similar to summers that we see today in Sweetwater, Texas. Does anybody know the primary crop in Sweetwater? Cotton. So we could see some changes in our agricultural production here in Nebraska. So winters in Kansas 
and summers in Texas by about 2050. And if we don't change our ways, um, that could be uh, a worse scenario. So what impact will that uh, have for related uh, and related changes have on fish and wildlife that we currently enjoy here in Nebraska? So let's first start with waterfowl. Tens of millions of ducks and geese uh, migrate through Nebraska along with half a million sandhill cranes. And the ducks are mostly hatched in the wetlands and the prairie pothole region uh, that you can see here in Canada and the Dakotas and uh, Minnesota and Iowa. And 50 to 80 percent of North America's ducks come from the prairie pothole wetlands. And ducks need about 100 days uh, of water in those wetlands to nest, lay, and hatch the eggs, and then raise the ducklings big enough so that they're able to get around on their own. And the duck numbers in the central flyway, um, the ducks from North America's duck factory that fly through Nebraska, could drop by half or more over the next several decades due to climate change. So a U.S. State Department assessment uh, as far back as 2002 notes the threat to the prairie potholes. Now it doesn't take a whole lot of warming to start drying up the wetlands a few weeks earlier. And that interferes with 100 days that those ducks need. So you have a delicate system uh, where you can quickly reach a tipping point and you can lose large amounts of duck habitat. So according to the National Audubon Society's Birds and Climate Change Report, which included 314 uh, species of birds, here are some examples that are native to Nebraska uh, that will be affected by climate change. The loon, golden eye, the mallard, and some others. So bad news for ducks and the duck hunters uh, among us. What about trout and cold water fish? So Nebraska's cold water streams are primarily in the north and west part of the state. See here in the map. Um, and we've got some of the better trout streams um, than in, and we've got the blue ones, which are the cold water streams. And those are streams that stay below 72 degrees in the summer. And then we have the, the, uh, the red ones, kind of harder to see here. The, these are the warm water streams that get above uh, 72 degrees. And 68 to 72 degree water temperature is where the stream gets too warm to support trout and other cold water fish. But remember that by 2050, cities like Scotts Bluff, Shadron, Valentine, Niobrara uh, are going to see uh, warmer temperatures. They're going to go from the low 70s to the high 70s, and that is going to warm those streams. So here are the trout temperature requirements needed for them to undergo normal biological activities uh, like feeding and reproduction. So the rainbow and cutthroat trout won't be able to survive when the water temperature gets past 64, 65 degrees. Uh, and while the brook and brown trout might be able to survive, even if the water gets past 72 degrees, they will lose their ability to properly grow and reproduce. So uh, Nebraska doesn't have the high water streams fed by snowmelt uh, much of the summer, so as you might expect, we lose the cold water fish uh, like trout earlier. 
these are all kind of themes that we've that have been touched on uh, by Dr. Bell and Senator Har. But there was a question also about um, the, the economic effects. Um, so we've got some info here from Nebraska Game and Parks. Um, of course, if there's uh, there's fewer trout, then there's fewer uh, anglers taking trips, and that is uh, means fewer hotel rooms stayed in. You know, fewer meals in local restaurants, fewer stops at the gas station, fewer equipment sold. So there's the potential uh, for the whole economy to suffer. So that's strike two. Uh, how about deer? Well, white-tailed deer can be found throughout Nebraska, and then we have mule deer in the western part of the state. So what's in store for our deer population? Well, to look at that, we need to look back briefly at the 2012 record drought uh, that we had. Uh, for those people in Nebraska during that time, it's hard to forget. The Platte River ran dry for large stretches, creeks ran dry, wetlands dried up, and that left little water uh, on the landscape. And the photos here were taken near uh, Grand Island. This is of the Platte, so quite a big juxtaposition to what we see today in the last few weeks. These are the kinds of extreme events uh, that, that, that climate change is bringing. So then there's the issue of diseases as well, because in 2012 there was a huge outbreak of EHD uh, in Nebraska's deer population. And some 100,000 deer died from EHD, taking 25 to 30 percent of the deer herd here in a single year. So how that happened is when creeks and rivers and wetlands dry up, uh, deer like uh, wild, wildlife like deer congregate at the few remaining watering holes uh, on the landscape and the midges that transmit the HD breed and thrive in the stagnant water of those few remaining water holes and that creates a recipe for an epidemic and that's exactly what happened so the extensive drought of 2012 was a key factor in the EHD epidemic, and uh, the climate change report put out by the university in 2014 said that uh, droughts like 2012 will be more common in the future. So even in a wildlife species where you might not expect it, uh, like deer, which are plentiful, uh, climate change could have serious repercussions. So once again, according to the uh, National Audubon Society's Birds and Climate Change Report, the lesser prairie chicken uh, will lose 100% of its habitat by 2080 due to climate change if it's not addressed because of its low population and its remaining habitat is very vulnerable to changes in the climate. So let's look more at the prairie chicken. Uh, Nebraska has probably the strongest populations of greater uh, prairie chicken and sharp-tailed grouse in the country because of the large intact uh, native prairie in the sandhills and grouse need uh, large blocks of open prairie in order to thrive. But the sandhill prairies are fragile. So what you can see here on the right are people down at the bottom of the blowout. So if you look towards the top here, you can see the thin layer of grass uh, and the soil that supports that on top of a whole lot of sand. So when the grass is disturbed and the wind starts moving the sand, it doesn't take long before it can create uh, a blowout this large. And in the next couple decades, the sand hills will likely reach and surpass the two to four degree threshold. 
and the uh, climate change report expects drought to occur more frequently and more severely in the future um, if climate change isn't addressed. And should the warmer temperatures uh, and, and drought weaken or destroy that uh, thin prairie layer on top of the sand hills, we can see those sand hills uh, mobilized again. And at that point, the equation is pretty simple. If there's no prairie, then there's no prairie chickens. Moving on to wetlands, uh, the wetlands in Nebraska are also a risk. Uh, they provide habitat for migrating ducks and geese. They serve as magnets for wildlife on the Great Plains. And just like the prairie potholes north of here, uh, the wetlands would suffer from warmer temperatures and increased evaporation. Uh, and the wildlife that depend on those wetlands would suffer as well. And the plat could also be in trouble. Um, the, the plat is critical for fish and wildlife uh, here in Nebraska, it also uh, support, it has, uh, irrigation for millions of acres of farmland, um, and it's drinking water for Omaha, Lincoln, and other communities, uh, as all Lincoln residents now know well, after the water restrictions that were put in place after the recent flooding. And climate models say warming climate could reduce the snowpack uh, in the Rockies, reducing the volume and changing the timing uh, of the water flowing out of the Rocky Mountain headstreams that go into the plat. So climate change is impacting uh, the migrating wildlife by changing the natural signals that fish and wildlife have adapted to and that now trigger their migration instincts. Uh, they can impact the habitat, changing when the food sources are in supply. And we're already seeing uh, some of these impacts. Uh, research by Dr. Paul Johnsgaard, who's a bird ecologist the University of Nebraska has documented some of the changes in the migration patterns that have already occurred among some migrating bird species. And this one I think is pretty shocking how uh, <clears throat> the species are moving. So according to a 2011 study analyzing species range shifts, the changing climate is pushing land-based and animal species to higher elevations uh, at a rate of 36 feet per decade and to higher latitudes at a rate of 10 and a half miles per decade. And these are approximately two and a half times faster uh, than were previously reported. So one thing I, I sometimes hear as well, you know, animals, they're gonna adapt to the changes in the climate. But what we've seen is that the changes are actually happening a lot faster than, than animals and plants can keep up with. So that's the bad news, at least a portion of it, uh, from ducks to trout to deer to prairie chickens and even Platte River flows. Climate change, if it's left unchecked, would have a devastating impact on fish, wildlife, and people. And it's one of the biggest threats to wildlife. But congratulations, you've made it through the gloom and doom part of the presentation. You can do your chicken dance, and we'll get on to the good news. So the good news is that we know the solutions that, to address climate change to reduce carbon emissions. And those solutions are moving towards 100% renewable energy, it's the electrification of transportation, and it's embracing agricultural practices that take carbon out of the atmosphere. And some of these things are happening faster than others, but they're all happening. They need to happen faster. 
Um, and these solutions uh, are cheap, the technology is already available, and they rely on in-state resources like wind, solar, and energy efficiency. And this will keep hundreds of millions of dollars from flowing out of the state every year as they do right now to Wyoming for coal. And it'll create jobs, investment, and prosperity. And so one of the programs that um, Nebraska Wildlife Federation has worked on um, is the Husker Energy Plan, uh, formerly known as the Husker Power Plan, uh, until we were informed by the uh, athletic department here at the university that Husker Power is a registered trademark uh, of the University of Nebraska. Go Huskers! Uh, so it is now the Husker Energy Plan. And so what that is, is uh, it, it's, a, it's a document that came together over a couple of years uh, where we've worked with partner organizations, uh, faith-based groups, uh, ag, ag groups, conservation groups, uh, environmental groups, uh, even some business groups, in order to uh, engage with utilities about lowering carbon emissions. And so what the plan calls for is ramping up production of wind and solar energy, um, um, adding more energy efficiency programs and monitoring uh, emerging technology like smart grid and battery storage. Um, and if, if the goals of the plan are met over the five years uh, of the plan, we would see a cut of 50% of carbon emissions in Nebraska. Uh, and we're happy to say that the wind and solar uh, goals are well on their way to being met. You may have seen this slide in the previous presentation, um, but <clears throat> I think it's worth showing again because this is a jobs issue. Um, you know, solar installer is the fastest growing job category in the U.S., while wind turbine service technician is forecast to be the second fastest growing occupation through 2026, according to a labor, uh, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, analysis. And in 2017, there were already about 105,000 Americans employed in just the wind energy industry. <coughs> so what about Nebraska? Well, the number of people now working in clean energy industries throughout the state is over 17,000, a more than 6% increase since 2015. So job growth across sectors, including renewable energy generation, advanced grid, energy efficiency, clean fuels, advanced transportation is occurring almost seven times faster than over than overall job growth in Nebraska. So to conclude, we don't want to and cannot forget uh, about workers or our fish and wildlife friends. The greenhouse gases that we've put in the atmosphere are going to be here for some time, so there are things that we can and must do to protect habitat uh, and our river flows uh, to give wildlife a fighting chance in a warming world. So that's the forecast for fish and game in Nebraska, but fortunately, we can change the forecast, slowing climate change to give people and wildlife more time to adapt uh, to and ultimately begin to reverse those changes. So that's the presentation. Thanks for your time and attention. I'm happy to answer any questions.
Um, I haven't, no, but that, that's a great point. Um, you know, climate change doesn't care about borders. So, you know, this has got to be a, a, an effort, this is an intrastate, inter, intra and interstate effort uh, and, and working together with, with other state governments. And, and again, you know, what climate change is, is it's, a, it, it's something that compounds problems that are already there. So uh, I'm no expert in this, but there's been a long history of, you know, uh, of conflict with Kansas over the Republican River. And this is something that climate change is, is, is gonna add to. Um, and I think there's uh, a, a work looked at too in terms of the plat and, and what Colorado's doing and, and what we're doing. So absolutely, th this, is, this is something that needs to be uh, addressed uh, through, through cooperation with surrounding states. This may be kind of a difficult, it's not an impossible question to answer. My favorite kind. Yeah, it's kind of occurred to me as I'm watching this, looking at the drought of 2012. Is there any data that came out of that between then and where we are now that indicated that there was some change that happened in wildlife of any category, that it changed something from 2012 to now, changed it for good, changed, something's gone that used to be I'm not framing the question very clearly. No, I, yeah, I, get, I see what you're getting at. Um, I, I have not heard okay, of, of any particular uh, big change. But, but I think it, it's worth mentioning again that, that we are seeing changes in the migration patterns. And, and I'm not aware of any, any uh, extinctions of, of species. But yeah, as, as Dr. Bell and, and, and others have said, like we're, climate change is already here, and, and we, are, we are already seeing the changes. So, so what do you say when people are talking, you know, you talk about wind power and, and the potential impacts that it has on birds. Um, I'm just kind of curious what your, what your take is on that and how, how to potentially address that question. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's even, it's even a controversial question within my own organization, Nebraska Wildlife Federation. Um, I, would, I would say, having, having looked at the data, um, that, that, well, first of all, every energy source um, has consequences. There's no, there's no, there's no free freebie. Uh, so there are there are uh, uh, deaths to birds from wind turbines, but it's vastly exaggerated in the media. And if you look at uh, bird deaths, um, most birds are killed by cats and buildings and windows. So wind turbines are far, far down the list. Ken? Well, one of the things too to realize is that in Nebraska, when you build a wind farm, there are some 52 permits you have to go through. And part of those is working with the Game and Parks Commission. For example, nobody would build a wind farm by Grand Island where the cranes are going to be fine. Yes. You wouldn't be allowed yeah. to do that. So, it may not be a perfect process, but that's really taken into consideration. Yeah, yeah, and and with with the uh, the a lot of the wind projects that I've seen, um, a lot of the wind companies are going above and beyond because they, you know, they don't want bad press of 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 hearing about bird deaths and seeing bird deaths. But a couple other things, like I've talked to landowners who have winter roots on their land, and I asked them, I said, do you see a lot of dead birds? Around, around the base, and I talked to one guy who's had turbines for close to 10 years, and he said he found two or three 
dead birds over that time. And who's this? I mean, it could have seems like the likely culprit would have been the turbines, but how do you even know that it was the turbines? Like we didn't, he didn't see them fly into it. Another thing that I point out too is uh, since we were talking about prairie chickens, there's uh, been some studies uh, in surrounding states like Kansas that looked at the effects of, of uh, wind turbines on prairie chickens. And what they found is great for them because a lot of the uh, predators to prairie chickens are kind of scared off uh, by the turbines. So for some species, it's good. I was just going to say, I don't know if anybody here watches on Animal Planet, but uh, the show The Zoo, it's based on the Bronx Zoo in New York, and they have a project that they work on with birds, because the biggest killer of birds is all the tall buildings full of glass. Yeah. And they're working on a project to try to come up with something that the birds can see better and the zoo is part of that project so that they will have fewer dead birds and so I'm sure there's not nearly as many birds killed by turbines as there are just tall buildings made of glass. Yeah and a couple of comments about that so I, I, was a, I was a teacher for many years um, in, in companies and, um, and so when I go to the different companies a lot of them are located in, in big buildings and I was always surprised how many the stories that they, my students had about birds flying into the into the building, and that was without even asking them, you know, in relation to this, like, how was your weekend, or what, what's been going on this week? And they go, another bird flew into the building. Um, and in terms of the turbines themselves, um, you know, just like just like a lot of technology, like mobile phones. Uh, the technology is getting better and better over time, and um, there's there's wind turbines that have different sensors on them, different lights um, that that are helping reduce uh, any collisions or deaths from the turbines. And if you want to know more about uh, you know wind and solar energy, there's the the wind and solar conference. Um, it's every year, it rotates where it is. I believe it's going to be in Lincoln uh, again this year as it was last year. And you know, they have a lot of people from industry there uh, who can tell you all about the, the different new uh, additions to the turbines that address a, a lot of these issues. Uh, just a question on we have a big wind farm down there, and which one? The sequence red, what's that? Where at? Diller. Oh, in Diller, okay. Um, they have, a lot of, uh, they have all the sequenced red lights on them. Is that just for aircraft, or is that for other purposes too? I think, yeah, I'm not sure. And it depends on, on the turbine and what they put in, but some of that could be for birds as well, or for other raptors. I mean, they're really bright. You know, you can see for 30, 40 miles, you yeah. know better. But when I talked to one of the guys um, at the last Windows Little Conference, he said they, they only flash when there's something approaching. Otherwise, he said that they, they, they don't flash. Well, these these are there since it starts getting darker and they're on oh, okay. all night. Is it a high flight area? Not that I know. Mm. I mean, and they're all sequence, they're all flash at the same time. Yeah. Mm. Oh, any other questions? Well, this isn't a question that I can't say, but sometimes it doesn't take much to kind of catch your attention and get you to think about things. I have given some thought to climate change kind of in passing. And then one day I was traveling down the interstate heading back to Lincoln and I saw a dead armadillo 
in the uh, side of the road not too far from York. And I was telling people that I saw an armadillo. And I got a lot of ridicule until that night when the Lincoln TV station, somebody else had been traveling along the interstate that day and saw it also. So I got someone to verify that it was there. So we do not see armadillos in this state routinely. So, okay, that is a, yes. That is an excellent point. And in fact, that has come up during Q&A of previous yes. presentations when the question of, uh, well, have you seen different species yes. with that? And absolutely, an armadillo is the one that, that I've mentioned, that I've right. heard. So you are not the only one who's really seen an armadillo. They are coming up this way. Yes. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.